Welcome into the Michael Welch podcast. I hope you enjoyed Wild Card Saturday weekend or Super Wild Card Saturday weekend, whatever the hell they call it now, since they expanded the uh, playoff here for the NFL the past couple of seasons. We had a couple riveting games. We only had uh, two games that really went out of control there, but it's kind of fun to have them spread out across Saturday, Sunday, and then a Monday night game as well. So starting with the 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks, 41 to 23 victory there. Uh, 49ers predictably jumped out to a 10 nothing lead after the first quarter. Seattle battled back in the second. They actually led at halftime 17 to 16, and the 49ers put them away in the second half of that ball game. Quarterback questions for both moving forward in a way. Uh, does Seattle re-sign Geno Smith next season to a multi-year contract next year or franchise take him? He should be back after his first Pro Bowl season at the age of 32. 70% completion percentage, 30 touchdowns, 11 picks. Led Seattle to the playoffs here and a 9-9 overall record after a 4-5 win projected total coming into the season. A franchise tag is projected to be right around $30 million, maybe a little north of that, which is still a ballpark to be less than Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff, some of those gentlemen. Uh, and they'll have an estimated $53 million in cap space for next season. A much longer deal would probably start right around $30 million annually uh, with that rough franchise tag price point in mind. I can't find a great estimate at uh, a real number for that, for the expected extension. It seems like Geno Smith's uh, agent there can pretty much push until he finds the line for Seattle uh, that they wouldn't want to cross to where they would tag him for a year. So it's really just what Seattle wants. And we don't see two-year deals, so I imagine it'd be three or four. Uh, I'm not sure that five would be on the table as far as what Seattle's looking for. Geno probably isn't getting you to a Super Bowl next season, so is this a transition period to the next Seattle success tenure? And is this how you want to do it? I think is the mindset if you're a, a fan and especially in the office, front office there right now. Do you want to middle your way through it or do you just want to blow it up further uh, and kind of uh, draft your way back up? I'm not sure there is room to make a big leap next season to really raise your ceiling and potential such as winning the division there and advancing further into the playoffs besides making it in, hopefully, and uh, winning a game. Pete Carroll will be 72 years old. Gino will be 32, uh, both birthdays in the fall there. Lockett will be 31. Uh, they have great young talent, but progression isn't linear. Uh, things really came together this year. They could be feisty again next year. Or they could uh, kind of backstep and win the four to five games they were projected to win this season. So what situation would you rather be in with your quarterback? How much do you believe in Geno? You can absorb the franchise tag hit this season pretty comfortably if it's a higher number uh, than a little bit, you know, spread it out over an extension. If it's a little bit lower number uh, yearly that way. Um, if you give them a new deal, I don't know what the guaranteed money is going to look like anymore after Deshaun Watson deal and all that guaranteed money reset the market. So I don't know what it would be like trying to get out of him after year two or three if it becomes a problem there. So just interesting to see what Seattle is going to do now after a great season this year. For San Francisco, the Purdy party continues. He was 18 for 30 
for 332 and three touchdowns. This was a big hurdle for him to clear in order to become a front runner for a starting quarterback position next year. I think uh, he had to win a playoff game here and only a sixth start. Uh, he would have to have a debacle of a game next week at home against the Cowboys to lose that status. I think they'd have to actually lose the game. His poor quarterback play would have to be one of the main reasons why. And he'd have to have some terrible unforced plays against that number eighth ranked pal- passing defense for Dallas to to really kind of put that in jeopardy. But even if all three of those criteria are met, he could still win the job next season. If he doesn't meet all of those, uh, they lose because uh, the offense just isn't is having problems. Um, and it's no real faults that you can point at him for. If the defense is, is for some reason having issues, if um, they win the football game regardless of his performance and continue to advance to the final four, then uh, I think he's still in a good position there. Jimmy Garoppolo kind of seems like the uh, cute girl of the NFL. Everyone likes him, but uh, they think they can do a little better. And uh, Trey Lance is still a complete question mark. The only thing we do know by the time that he returns in fall of 2023 is that he'll have four full games under his belt in three years. Uh, 2019 was the last time he played a full season in college. He played one game in 2022, obviously, then he was hurt in his second start. He played two games in 2021 when Garoppolo was banged up, and he played one game his final year of college in 2020 due to the virus, and uh, the rest of that season was canceled. They actually rescheduled one game to get him on national television. So his potential career there could be submarined by situations kind of out of his control, unfortunately. But uh, if they have a real quarterback there, and Purdy, then it's gonna it's gonna be a problem getting him onto the field. So it's they have it's potential that they go into next season. Obviously, at this point, I'm not telling anyone listening anything new. Uh, if you're paying uh, any kind of attention here to what's going on in San Francisco, they potentially have three decent starting caliber quarterbacks on the roster heading into camp next year, and there may be moves ahead there. As for this season. They still have to be one of the top teams favorite to go to the Super Bowl. His performance has been plenty good enough right now. The defense for the 49ers is, is very dominant. They're going to have a tough challenge this week in the Cowboys. But they're along with Dallas, they're one of the two teams that looked dominant this past weekend. And um, you got to like those two teams behind Kansas City. Jaguars beat the Chargers 31-30. to I turned this off after uh, Trevor Lawrence's third pick in the first quarter. Incredibly frustrating. Uh, he finished with four total touchdowns and four, four picks, four and four, to go 288 yards on 28 of 47 passing. It was a lot of unforced errors early, a lot of problems on his fault, on his behalf, a lot of his faults, not reading the defense and, and throwing turnovers, and it's just a big problem, big problem there. And, and a rare happenstance or rare personality trait he was able to stay calm and uh make a comeback 27 point deficit in the second quarter before finally putting a touchdown drive together to make it 27 to 7 at halftime and uh third largest deficit that was overcome in a playoff game now dungy and al michaels 
were destroyed on social media. They were half asleep in the second half of this as uh, I eventually turned it back on and, and rewatched it back. But an awesome comeback is mounted in the second half as the game is slowly inching closer and closer and the Jags are closing the gap. And even on the final game-winning field goal, Al Michaels and Tony Dungy express almost no emotion at all. And it's very disappointing because that affects and really impacts you as a viewer watching this regardless of what side that you're on. It's just a horrible, horrible job by those guys. So they were absolutely getting destroyed on social media, rightfully so. Horrible job on the game. Uh, the Jags had to hit a big fourth and one to keep the game-winning drive alive. But this was really just kind of a kind of a wild game. Chargers had 17 points off Jags turnovers in that first half and started two drives in the red zone. And the second half wasn't anything too crazy on the Jags' part. They put a 14-play, 80-plus yard, seven-minute drive together for a touchdown, a five-play, 68-yard drive together for a touchdown, a nine-play, 70-plus yard drive together for a touchdown, and finally a 10-play, 60-plus yard drive in uh, three minutes together for the game-winning field goal. On the other hand, Chargers missed a field goal, hit a field goal, punted a couple times, and uh, not turning the ball over to, to give them an opportunity here. And it seemed like the, the offense just couldn't get anything going as the Jags went four for four scoring on four drives, getting points off drives, finishing drives out there in the second half. So Jags, arrows up, good coach in Doug Peterson. Trevor Lawrence might be a top 10 quarterback at this point. Have to go through and name off how many guys you'd like above him. And the division at the moment is manageable with possibly three new starting quarterbacks in that division next year. So just just a wild situation. Um, and Jacksonville could do some could do some damage here. Going into Kansas City is, is a loss, but going forward into next season could really do some damage. Again, four possessions in the second half, four possessions that ended with points. They had eight possessions in the first, but six of them were three plays or less because of all the turnovers. So just just a complete reversal of roles there. Now the Chargers, on the other hand, let's let's dig back a little bit here. Did a little digging. Just a little refresher, because it sure seems to me like the Chargers, a team that I've always liked to root for, just have too many problems here. Two playoff wins since 2010. Three playoff appearances. This is only the third time they've reached double-digit wins since 2010, if you include playoff wins in that total. Otherwise, it's twice since 2010. Yet they finished 7-9 and nine or better 10 of those 13 years. I was thinking right around 500, and I realized we had an even number of games there for a while. I was still in that 17-game mindset. So if we threw out even a couple more of those, 8 of 13 years, I believe, they were 500 or better. But still, 7-9 and nine's close to that with a couple bounces of the football but basically right around 500 or better most of those years because they pretty much always have talent they're never a dumpster fire at the skill positions anyways i stopped at 2010 for those numbers not because it was a nice round number but because from 04 to 09 if you remember they were actually 11 and 5 or better four of those six years Broke multiple NFL records, won games with Drew Brees, who won comeback player of the year in 04, coming off an injury, then transitioned to Phillip Rivers, 
They had Len Damian Tomlinson for most of that chunk. Sean Marion on the defensive side. Hall of Famers all over that six-year stretch. They went 3-5 and five in the playoffs. No Super Bowl appearances. In 2010, they had one of the weirdest seasons ever in NFL history. The number one offense and number one defense in the NFL, and they didn't even make the playoffs due to an incredibly horrific group of special teams. A 2-5 start. They uh, apparently logged 70-plus injuries. It's a near NFL historic high for injuries logged that season overall. There's a number of videos and articles on it, and I'm sure as we hit milestone years, there'll be more information. But it's just a crazy, crazy season to look back and reflect on. Tortured fan base is a loose term, obviously, associated with the Lions, Browns, Texans in the NFL. But in terms of talent versus results, Chargers fans could apply for that tag, I think, at this point. Brandon Staley, the coach, is expected back for year three as of right now. He's cleaning house. That's part of, uh, you know, saving your own jobs, wiping out everyone else. But who knows what happens next season. Herbert isn't really the problem here. More coaches that can't seem to get the talent to where it needs to go, dating back 20 years now. Bills, Dolphins, 34 to 31, the Buffaloes gore the Finns. I posted my disgust for the officiating in this game. Um, I haven't heard a lot of discussion about it other than the last play, so perhaps it was just me. I missed the first half of the game live, so I was watching the recording as the second half was projecting and caught up to the, about the last five minutes live. I didn't hear much about uh, officiating issues, but as I was you know, skipping commercials and watching the, the playback. It sure seemed like there were some issues going on there. Uh, Mike Gusecki looked like he was thrown down on an important third down later in the game uh, on an incompletion that, that should have been a, a flag for a first down, or he, he could have had a, sh- a shot to, to grab the, the ball there. Um, there was a hit on Skyler Thompson as he was going out of bounds, but not quite out of bounds, but clearly headed out of bounds, and he was blasted. I don't understand why that wasn't a penalty. I understand not wanting its uh, big flags to impact the flow of the game in any large capacity, but part of calling roughing the passer or 15-yard personal foul penalties like that is protecting the player from it happening again by punishing the defender. And there's a lot of feisty pushing as the game continued to go on, in part because of that hit, which happened right in front of the Dolphins bench. As he was running east-west and not cutting up field, and he was kind of in this leap, kind of heading out of bounds, and it was kind of on the green, but heading onto the white. And so I just don't get it. Are we protecting quarterbacks, particularly Dolphins quarterbacks right now, which is how we got to third, fourth, fifth practice squad stringer Skylar Thompson here in the first place? Or are we not doing that? Are we just not calling penalties at all in postseason games? This is obviously not not a new phenomenon, but I just don't understand why we can't uh, occasionally make these when it certainly seems like they're warranted. But if we're just going to throw out late hits on sportsmanlike penalties, holding pass interference calls in the playoffs, and call the game completely freaking different, then maybe that should be appropriately communicated and called as such. Now, some of this is ticky-tacky. But it seemed the officials couldn't always agree on calls, uh, certainly reluctant to call flags, uh, throw flags at times. And that led to kind of the final sequence of plays in the game on the in the fourth quarter there. Uh, the Bills hand the ball off on third and seven 
at Miami's 40, and Singletary powers for close to the first down marker. And this is critical. They have the lead. A stop would uh, make it fourth down and forces the Bills to either a gamble at that point and go for it on fourth down and possibly turn the ball over back to the Dolphins, punt it to the Dolphins, or at that point kick a long field goal and then kick it back to the Dolphins. All of a chance of giving the ball back to the Finns with a little bit of time left on the clock if the Bills don't convert. Chances of the Dolphins winning are very likely, but still, chance to get the ball back, whereas just calling that a first down ends the ball game. Singletary looks to be a little short, but one official, and I don't think it's actually the line judge, but one official calls it a first down, and the Bills immediately get up to uh, to snap the ball and take a knee and end the game, but the officials quickly jump in and stop the game for review, which is what should have happened if they were right on it. And because they can't tell exactly where the ball is after a booth review, they have to stick with the call on the field. Singletary went down in a a sea of bodies there. Can't tell exactly where the ball is when he went down. So they have to stick with the call of first down, and the game is over. The Bills take a knee. I don't understand why they had to make a call at all, quite frankly. Certainly seems like in times like these where it's very critical at the end of the game, could literally be the difference between a win and a loss that sometimes if they don't know, they just don't make a call and then they go to the booth and then they review it and they get it right. Cause it certainly did not seem like the right call to just call the first down, almost just let the play go needing, needing a a call down from the booth to stop the play. didn't seem like the right thing there. So just, it seemed like there were a culmination of events in my uh, rewatch there that led to some sloppiness by this officiating crew. So I was not surprised by that last play. And some of this didn't even seem to be covered in uh, the recaps in the quick uh, 30-second ESPN and Yahoo and recaps and that, unless you listen to an extended version. So, uh, But there were some key points in this that uh, could have made a difference. Of course, the actual gameplay could have made a difference as well. It wasn't really clear if he did make a first down, I don't think, uh, as a viewer watching the broadcast. But the Dolphins schemed guys open. Skyler uh, threw balls short all freaking day. Uh, Would have had a few more catches if he could get a few more yards on there. Uh, A.K.A. if another quarterback was in there. Tua, uh, Teddy Bridgewater, who was injured and on the sidelines. Also, when uh, lining up for the fourth and one near the end of the game, um, when the Dolphins had the ball, turned into a delay of game that turned into a fourth and sixth. They didn't convert. That's what gave the Bills the ball back for the last possession. McDaniel stated that someone told him it was a first down conversion. So when they were scrambling to get the correct personnel on the uh, field there, it caused the delay of game. Uh, Just a tremendous mistake there by somebody. Not making sure that that was the right call. The right people weren't in. They didn't have something called to grab one yard. But uh, that could have been the difference in the game as well. Picking up a first, continuing that drive, the Dolphins could have held onto the football rather than give it back to the Bills to even have a chance for that last baffling uh, sequence of events. They sacked Allen seven times, the defense did for the Dolphins. Uh, On the offensive side, again, Jalen Waddell only had three catches on seven targets. Tyreek had 15 targets, only had seven grabs on him. Only 231 yards of offense, no real run game. Pretty fantastic for a team hanging on by a thread at this point. And uh, quite frankly, last thought, I hope Tua does not play football again next season. 
two concussions at least that we know of, possibly three. I think he needs to take his uh, take his full life into uh, consideration here about returning to football. So maybe they have a new quarterback next season, but it won't be Skylar Thompson. Bills. Thank goodness DeMar Hamilton is okay, but the Bills themselves are not very good. Uh, passing numbers look solid, but Josh Allen had three fumbles. Only one went down as a turnover. He had threw a couple picks. Zero fourth quarter points. 80 yards of offense in the second half outside of one good 68-yard touchdown drive. So not a whole lot going besides that. The other touchdown came on a short field from an interception. They went backwards on several drives as well. Uh, the defensive fronts are only going to get tougher from here. So uh, not sure if this was just kind of... I'm not sure if there's still some emotional hangover here or what's what's going on. Uh, great, you know, scheming. Great job by the Dolphins that were uh, almost two touchdown underdogs uh, at points. I mean, the line was, was 10 plus for a while there and not expected to hang around at all, let alone could have possibly won this game if not for um, a whoopsie on their last drive and then the call on the Bills' final possession as well. But Buffalo it's down multiple safeties now with Hamlin out. Dolphins had room to operate even if they were struggling to complete throws and catch balls. And all the receiving weapons were firing for Buffalo. Great stat lines, getting open, catching the football. The defensive front was strong. They got after Skylar Thompson, as you'd expect. So it's pretty terrifying that it was this close. Buffalo is Cincinnati next weekend. Giants over Vikings, 31-24. The Vikes. Headline is Kirk Cousins driving for a game-tying touchdown, trying to convert a fourth and eight, and throwing to TJ Hawkinson in man-on-man coverage for a three-yard catch right as he's getting tackled. You can see it as he's hand-fighting with a defender, and that loses the game. It's just like throwing an interception. Would that change your perspective on this game? So now we have the uh, Kirk Cousins haters and the uh, pro Kirk folks defending. Brilliant game planning by the Giants, really. Cousins with 31 for 39 for 273. Two touchdowns, but he could never work the ball downfield. Seven yards per throw. TJ Hawkinson had 10 catches for 10 catches on 11 targets for 129 yards. But Justin Jefferson had one 10-yard ball. Seven grabs overall on nine targets for 47 yards. No touchdowns. No big downfield grabs. Thielen had one 25-yarder, but was quiet otherwise. Delvin Cook had 60 yards at four yards per carry on the ground. The Giants prevented the explosive plays, gave Kirk his comfort food, the underneath throws, and gave that right to him on the last play of the game to TJ Hawkinson, and he took it. And that's exactly what they wanted him to do. So who do you really blame for this? You needed a quarterback who's taking up a bulk of your cap as the most important position on the field to make a big play, and he basically throws an interception on the last play of the game. Ponder on that for a second. Now, someone has to lose the game. Someone has to lose a playoff game. Big quarterbacks lose games all the time because they meet head-to-head in the playoffs. But this sure happens to Kirk a whole lot. And decision-making can make the difference between a good quarterback and a bad. That's why I was on Matthew Stafford for a very long time, for years in his early career, until he seemed to make better reads and better throws. Didn't seem like he got there until he was in his 30s, so it took a while. Seems like the best thing for Kirk 
is for the staff, coaching staff, to find some way to avoid him getting into this kind of read, this kind of position where he has to make these kind of throws. Because he's shown over and over again that he has real difficulty when the defense placates him and forces him uh, into certain reads. Anyways, um, not sure what the uh, Vikings got going on next year. 11 one-possession wins, and their season ends on one score. Seems difficult that they're going to be quite this high up next year. Packers, Lions, Chicago are going to eat into that win total, I think. We'll see what happens next season. Giants. In 2022, Daniel Jones under Brian DeBall is kind of like 2017 Jared Goff under Sean McVay. The coaching change may have saved his career entirely. He's always shown some wheels, but this year was completely different throwing the football and with no wide receiver help. In this game, though, 24 for 35, 301 yards, two touchdowns, 78 yards rushing. Uh, Barkley had two touchdowns and 100 yards of total offense between the ground and receiving. Your top two guys came to play there. Isaiah Hodgkins had eight catches for 105 yards and a touchdown. Got to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about that kid. Uh, Just no receivers here. After looking receiver-rich two years ago was tough. I heard Galloway being discussed on the broadcast where I was looking away for a minute, clearing up some notes. I looked back on, and they're talking about what a great block he threw on the perimeter. What a great freaking block. Zero targets, zero catches. Signed as one of the big fish, one of the big free agent wide receivers a couple years back, and he's been zero help, except when he's pass blocking, apparently. Now, the defense recorded double-digit pressures on Kirk Cousins, but zero sacks. I think the Eagles are going to have their hands full this weekend, and for the foreseeable future here with Jones and DeBall, as Jones has surely earned another uh, contract here, uh, they declined, the Giants did, his fifth year, because uh, after four, you have the option for the fifth on that rookie deal before they are a free agent, but you have to make that decision between years three and four. So they declined it last summer, uh, thinking that they weren't going to keep him around. So my, how things have changed, and we're watching him print money as he's on the field now, as he's uh, going to demand a higher and higher uh, payout as he continues to perform better and better on the field. Bengals 24 to 17 over the Ravens. Another game that didn't quite go as expected. The Ravens need to pay Lamar Jackson, who did not pay play in this game, has not played recently. Huntley's box score was fine, and they had multiple opportunities to win this game after a really slow, cruddy start. Uh, the reach was too far out. I think that's what they're calling it now. The reach as he leapt over for a touchdown in, I believe it was the third quarter, certainly the second half as he was leaping over a pile at the line of scrimmage and extending his arms with the ball to put it over the goal line uh, to break the plane for a touchdown, and he was way, way short, and the ball was punched out and ran all the way back for a touchdown the other way, a possible 14-point swing there for the Bengals. Do we call that like a rip six? You rip it out, or punch six? Rip six sounds better. We certainly have the kick six when you return a punt. Or a kick for a touchdown. I kind of like rip six. Regardless, um, the clock situation at the end of the game was a problem as well. Not using timeouts late was kind of ridiculous. Harbaugh, um, clock bleeding out, down a touchdown at that particular time. Trying to explain post-game what was going on. Um, as they didn't use touchdown, uh, timeouts driving down for a game-tying touchdown. And they ended up uh, ending the game 
on a Hail Mary that bounced off the fingertips of a receiver in the back of the end zone. But uh, they certainly seem to have mismanaged the clock a little bit there, ending the game with timeouts. So uh, just seems a little haphazard there, but still multiple opportunities to win this game. Touchdown difference, a goal line stand, potentially tying at that particular time, punched out, ran back the other way, and then still had a chance at the very end to tie it up. Um, maybe they would have gone for two, so they didn't have to go to overtime. Um, but still, uh, just a fatal flaw. Fatal flaw there. A couple fatal flaws in this game, much like uh, Bill's Dolphins, where things could have gone the other way. So the Ravens, another quarterback uh, deal going on here. Will they pay Lamar Jackson? And will they get him some more help on the perimeter, some receiving help? It is not for sure he's coming back. So that will be a main story to monitor heading into this offseason. Bengals, um, what the hell is going on here? They were outgained 364 to 234. Fewer yards, fewer yards per play, fewer first downs, more penalties. And uh, they did execute when they needed to. Seven for 13 on third down, two touchdowns on two trips to the red zone. And uh, a big stop, obviously, a couple of them, I guess. But this wasn't a good game. Uh, Ravens prevented big throws downfield. Uh, maybe the couple of fumbles that uh, went to the Ravens allowed them to sustain drives. A couple of fumbaruskis there. Um, but now they're going to Buffalo. Uh, they did have some offensive line issues here that should be noted. They were down three offensive linemen, uh, which certainly caused, I think, some some problems. But, man, it shouldn't have caused that many problems. This wasn't Georgia TCU where there's such a talent discrepancy that you're going to get completely wiped out. Um, I don't know. It just didn't seem quite right there. Um, so let's let's go to the Cowboys. Let's go to Cowboys Buccaneers. 31-14. This is one of the few teams uh, whose stock really moved up, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, and crushing the Buccaneers. However, here they go creating problems where there weren't any. Uh, Brett Maher, great uh, kicker, one of the best in the league, Missed four extra points before punching one in on the fifth touchdown of the night for the Cowboys. Prescott was 25 for 33 for 305, four touchdowns passing. He had a great fake on the goal line, and he uh, did a little end-around type of deal. Ran himself around, not handed it off end-around, and ran it in for a touchdown. But man, the kicker. Thank God he saw one go through at the end of the game because uh, you don't want to take a streak of misses into uh into next week in san francisco it was horrific horrific uh they put a statement out dallas did stating that they're going to stick with him at kicker but they did sign somebody i'm not terribly familiar with as a reserve so just uh keep that in mind keep that in mind buccaneers uh, the box score looks decent and you'd wonder how he got to the final score if you didn't watch the game but the team was down 24 to 6 and only had 110 yards of offense and uh, we were down to the last five or six minutes of the third quarter. Uh, Brady put a few drives together from there on out that accounted for like 65% of the Bucks' total offense for the entire game, and uh, they still only got one more score on the board. Uh, Brady doesn't seem to want to come back to the Bucks next season. I can't really blame him. I don't think he's done playing yet. I think he will be back. A separation between himself and Tampa is probably best. Um, he should probably go to a team that can protect him a little bit more on the offensive line and just one of these other places where he's been linked to and wants to go. Uh, the Bucks probably want someone that can move out of the pocket a little bit more. 
Uh, there were some bad throws in this game. There were some bad catching attempts. This was the only team with a losing record in the playoffs. I don't think everyone's heart was in it. I'm not sure that winning was actually a big concern here. I'm not sure if a Super Bowl was, you know, on Tom Brady's mind here as much as just running up records and continuing to simply play football and be on a football field. So I, I just don't think he's going to be back and the Bucks can move on to uh, to someone else. Tom Brady, Matt Stafford, Jared Goff, Matt Ryan, whose days are probably done as a starter. Those are kind of the few guys left that I kind of consider pocket quarterbacks at this particular point. Guys you wouldn't really call a run for or encourage to scramble at this particular point because they just don't have much speed to them. And uh, just that's just not who they're built for. I guess Goff has a little wiggle to him, you would say. And pretty much every quarterback that's come to the league the past five, six years, which includes Goff, has that to them. So, But if you're no threat to run out of the pocket or scramble out of the pocket or really even roll out of the pocket and create outside when there's pressure, I just think that you're you're really a dinosaur at this particular point and you're a really detriment to the team. So that's uh, I don't think Tom Brady's going to be miss too much in that particular instance when he moves on in that one particular case and lack of of skill set now potential landing places for him dolphins raiders 49ers or wherever sean payton ends up of course he was linked to the dolphins and a, a scandal there about possibly luring him in some illegal contact and maneuvering there uh, that involved uh, flores of course back when he was the head coach and just some Real shenanigans there that was not appropriate and certainly seemed like it could have been done above board. Uh, it's just not right. Um, but he could end up there with the Dolphins with some relationships that he has there, especially if Tua is taking time or is hanging it up. Uh, the Raiders is supposedly a team that he was linked to uh, when he was a free agent. Of course, that was deciphered from a podcast he was on. I believe he was on LeBron's The Shop. And he was talking about a place that was had talked to him. And then Dana White uh, later revealed that that was um, the Raiders and that Tom Brady was baffled that they didn't want to move off of their quarterback, Derek Carr, at the time um, and picking him up. So the Raiders could end up there or the uh, 49ers back in his home state there. I think all those could could be on the table. And then Sean Payton, uh, another great coach there who's looking to get back into the field obviously and if he ends up somewhere partnering him up with um tom brady um much like they were supposed to do with the dolphins as part of that whole little scandalous deal sean payton was supposed to become head coach of the dolphins and then tom brady was supposed to join him as his quarterback sean payton ends up somewhere else tom brady couldn't up, could end up there as well so uh, just a few things to uh, to keep in mind there for the buccaneers as tom brady moves on and the bucks proceed to move forward and uh Maybe make some coaching changes there. Maybe not head coach at the moment. And uh, maybe quarterback, certainly, I think would be a good idea. So this week's games, we'll have our Saturday and Sunday double header for our four-game slate. Saturday, we have the Jags in Kansas City playing the Chiefs at 430 on NBC. That game is currently uh, eight and a half points with a 53-point over under the Chiefs way. Looking 40-ish degrees, maybe some rain there, it looks like. The nightcap is the Eagles hosting the Giants at 8.15 on Fox. Seven and a half point favorites are the Eagles with a 48 over under. 
in the 40s there. Sunday at 3 o'clock on CBS is Bengals heading to Buffalo. Five and a half point favorites are the Bills, 48 point over under. And finally, the Niners hosting the Cowboys in the evening on Fox. Four point favorites, 46 point over under. So we'll get to see the Eagles and the Chiefs right off the bat on Saturday. We have firm favorites indicated by the spreads. And other than the Jags going into Kansas City and beating the Chiefs, I don't think any other results out of the other three games would be too surprising. I suppose an argument could be made for the Giants there. Uh, Money was flying in on the uh, big blue there last week, pushing the Vikings line down. Obviously a good bet now. But it certainly looked like a matchup they could win there. Uh, they were swept by the Eagles, though, this season, losing 48-22 to at home and 22-16 to in Philly with a lot of the Giants starters sitting. After they uh, locked up the number six seed, Eagles still had to play to lock up the one at that time, I believe, at the last week of the regular season. So that could be uh, it's still going to be interesting ball games here. And uh, I'd just like to see how the Jags hang with the Chiefs. Um, I still think right now the Chiefs should be uh, the lead to uh, win the Super Bowl. And the Eagles, one of the easiest schedules played in the NFL. Despite the record, there's been a lot of doubt about the Eagles and whether they'd be able to win the Super Bowl this year. Of course, Jalen Hurts played in multiple colleges, Oklahoma, Alabama, bounced around a little bit. Top colleges at that, but still. Weren't sure if he could be an NFL quarterback. Weren't sure about the press conference here for the head coach and whether he'd uh, do a great job or not. Yet, all they did was come out and produce top results on offense and defense uh, and housing opponents. So it seems like even though there have been doubts, they've looked like an excellent football team. So will they be able uh, to cap it off um, in the Super Bowl here? Or could they struggle against a divisional opponent that they crushed at one point this season in the Giants? who was a team much like the Eagles that has improved as the uh, season has gone on here. So that will be an interesting game. Seven and a half point line on that. I just think that'll be a very intriguing matchup. The Bengals will still have injuries on their offensive line as they head in to play the Bills. Again, both of these teams underperformed in their matchups. Um, I'm not sure, you know, they may both perform, perform at a very high level on Sunday. It's going to be disappointing for one of them to go home, most certainly. I hope this is still a great football game. It's also possible the Bengals just really have some problems with that uh, Bills defensive front. Uh, But again, both teams haven't quite looked right in the first round. Bengals start to look like they're coming around. Bills, just something seems a little off there. So it should be a really good football game. One team will be highly disappointed. Shouldn't be shocked by either result, I don't think. Obviously, Bill's favorite at home, uh, but that'll be a phenomenal football game there, although the Bengals won't be a full power, which is disappointing. And the final game on the dock at the 49ers and the Cowboys. Of course, can Purdy continue his run with that great 49ers group? And on the flip side, can the kickers make it in between the uprights for the Cowboys? Quite frankly, inventing problems where there were none. So that'll be a fantastic matchup as well, although San Francisco is clearly favored. If Purdy is having issues, maybe the Cowboys make a little surprise run there to the uh, NFC Championship. That would certainly be something. They'd be potentially they'd be playing another uh, division uh, opponent in either uh, the Eagles or the Giants. So that would certainly be something. Either way, anyway, you cut it. Another great slate of matchups for this upcoming weekend. 
Thank you very much for tuning in. I do appreciate it. I'm leaning towards a Chiefs Bills AFC and a 49ers Eagles NFC with the Chiefs and the 49ers making the Super Bowl at this particular point. But we shall see. Enjoy the games this upcoming weekend. I'll talk to you later.